your job as a business owner or as a marketer is to understand what painful problem consumers in your space are having or businesses, right? If you're B2B and then making sure that when they think about that problem, they think about you first as being the solution. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Rand Fishkin, co-founder and CEO at Spactoro, the makers of fine audience research software. Rand is one of the founding fathers of search engine optimization and the author of Lost and Founder, a painful, honest field guide to the startup world. We will discuss driving real performance marketing by knowing your customers. Yes, KYC. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Rand, it's uh, an honor of a lifetime having you here. Welcome. It's no, it's uh, great to join you. Yeah, absolutely. So. Let's kick off here. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? I know millions know you already, but a refresher wouldn't be too much. So your background, your role, and where you are at the moment. Sure. Yeah, no problem. So let's see. I am currently the co-founder and CEO at SparkToro. We help folks with audience research and that software company is my second software company. I originally started a business called Moz that many folks in the SEO world know. And that company raised a lot of venture capital, built a big team, made big revenue numbers, all that kind of stuff. I had kind of a tough experience there at the end of my run, which I think happens to a lot of venture-backed founders. Left the company in 2018 and started SparkToro the next day and wrote a book called Lost and Founder, which you kindly mentioned. And that has been read by a lot of entrepreneurs and folks in the marketing and tech world and received a lot of kind praise. I also, oddly enough, now these days, I'm also the creative director and co-founder of a video game studio that's making a, an indie video game, which will be announced probably early next year and then hopefully out okay. in a couple more years. So have a busy life, but a good one. Yeah, absolutely. And in case you are wondering, listeners, this is the book. Please grab your copy and when you're on vacation, you can read a couple of chapters until it's done. This is another episode about SEO, but I would still like you to talk about SEO just for a little tiny bit. And my question is simple. What is the future of SEO maybe a decade from now? Is it voice? Is it chat GPT? Is it something else? Do you want to tell us? The odd thing is, let's say we go back to 2005 or 2010 or 2015, and you ask the question, gosh, what's SEO going to be in 10 years? And the odd thing is in each of those cases, SEO was very similar 10 years later. So look, have tactics evolved? Absolutely. 
Are there more technologies that you can take advantage of, more tools and data, more searches and searchers? Yes, all those things are true. And Google certainly continues to provide richer and richer types of results, new and different kinds of results. I think the only thing we can say with certainty about 10 years from now is it's almost certainly true that Google will try to answer more and more searches instantly. Rather than sending traffic out to the open web, they will try to keep searchers on their platform, in their ecosystem, getting their answers from Google or Google News or Google Maps or YouTube or next things that they acquire or take advantage of. It certainly wouldn't surprise me to see that 10 years from now, Google has entirely dropped Twitter. They've had this long partnership where they show Twitter results and that could certainly go away. I could see Google entering that world or using the meta product instead, the one that's joining the Fediverse in a few months here. I think that we'll see continued evolution, but I don't think we're going to see this revolutionary change. The rise of voice search never took off. Yeah. Amazon recently came out with the fact that the Echo product and Amazon Alexa didn't get nearly as much use as they predicted it would. And they sort of lost billions of dollars investing in it. I think the same is true for Google Voice. People don't mind all that much typing or speaking in their answer and then seeing results on a screen and clicking on them. That is a good user experience. I don't think people are all that interested in waiting and listening to a long response as someone reads it off. So yeah, my suspicion is more instant answers. Other than that, probably pretty similar. Ah, interesting. Okay, we just have to wait and see then. But into the topic here, I would like to start by reigniting the morale of our listeners when it comes to knowing your customers. Recently, you put out a post that says many marketers only search Google for keywords and they feel that is the only place audiences can be found or where their jobs to be done can be found. Your jobs to be done, it being a fancy term for staying customer needs. And I am personally guilty of that because performance marketing has been a huge part of my career and there's a lot of PPC and marketing intelligence and strategy work in there. But my question is, it seems you have a bit of a picture of how all the digital marketing platforms can cohabitate, if I would use a word like that, search, social, content, and so on and so forth, working together in engaging the customer. So how do you see that play out from your experience or what you would like to see going forward? So I think that over the last 20 years, a lot of marketers, especially in search, right? Because search was growing so fast, it was such a huge field. There was so much opportunity there. A lot of people got entirely siloed into paid search and organic search. And that's the only kind of marketing they do. It might even be the only kind of marketing they know. Occasionally, I'll see those marketers break out of their shell a little bit and say, oh gosh, it would be really great if my page that I was sending all this search traffic to converted better. Or when I produce better quality content or content that resonates more with my audience or content that gets shared on social, it also seems to rank better. So maybe this ecosystem's connected. And then a lot of marketers will notice, especially if they do paid advertising, that as your brand increases in familiarity, trust, mm -hmm reach, your network improves, all of the metrics around paid search and paid advertising of all kinds get better, right? You pay less per click. 
you get clicked on more. The conversion rate is higher. The ROI is higher because brand preference is a huge part of how people buy goods and services and make decisions. Mm -hmm. Look, what I would love to see, I would love to see more marketers thinking about how all these channels and tactics and a strategic overview of what they're going to invest in and why and how work together. Do I realistically see that happening very much? Only in small companies or at the very highest levels of leadership in larger companies. I think for a ton of folks, whether they're agencies or consultants or in-house marketers, they're going to be told to stick to their little universe of whatever, paid search, paid ads, display, retargeting, conversion rate optimization, email marketing, content marketing, social media marketing. Like you stay in your lane, everybody else stays in theirs. I, I don't think that necessarily is how you get the best results, but I think it is very hard to break out of that. If you can though, sometimes awesome things can happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've been running a little campaign of mine, just to add to what you're saying, little campaign of mine, around marketers running in silos, there is the silo of the channel. They don't want to do integrated. They don't want the omni-channel. There is also the silo of marketing. So I just want to do my marketing stuff. I don't care what SQL is. I only love the MQLs. I don't care about lifetime value. We'll talk about that in a second. I don't care about some of those things. Everybody hates sales. And I will repeat that for the nth time again. Please, if you're watching or listening here and you want to be my friend or Rand's friend, please, you need to change your mindset from being just a typical marketer to a growth marketer, to a revenue-focused marketer, to a marketer that takes an integrated approach, knowing that there are tens or hundreds of touch points for the customer at different customer journeys and being able to collaborate and do all this great stuff at scale. You can also do that by keeping things simple as well, which is why I've also said sometimes on this podcast that enterprises, I have some, a lot of enterprise experience, that enterprises should act as startups. Grow your business from the inside out. Use your prospects, customers to grow your business. Have that integrated, connected, multi-moment customer experience so that you can build brands that not only last, but help people and create better marketing impact. That's just some motivational monologue there. But I would like us to talk about some of the enterprises a little bit. Rand, I think a lot of the FANG companies, they may have misled the world that companies start markets. And I know that you are a big proponent of having that at the other way around to say there is a unique problem out there companies just develop a unique solution for it. It's not companies starting something new or creating a problem and creating the solutions at the same time. That is not the way it goes. However, I don't think people are going to take my word for it. But what do you think about it? Okay. I think in most cases, you are absolutely correct. It is very rare that a company creates the market entirely by themselves, by creating or inventing the problem and then the solution. It does happen sometimes, right? You can yeah. generally argue that some luxury goods like perfume and cologne, right? That was it a problem? How did that industry come about? But now that it's an existing problem, right? There's solutions for it. 
you could also, I think, very reasonably argue that Intuit essentially pays off Congress people in the United States, buys their campaigns to make sure that tax codes and the IRS are never updated to allow taxpayers to easily do their own taxes online right through the IRS, even though the IRS could obviously tell you exactly how much taxes you owe and you could just pay them. But because Intuit funds the problem, they're able to then create the solution. So there are rare cases, right, where through either extreme creativity or if you are a little bit more skeptical of capitalism, right, malfeasance and malignance, that problems are created and then the solutions are created as well. But I would argue that 99% of the time that's not the case, that your job as a business owner or as a marketer is to understand what painful problem consumers in your space are having or businesses, right, if you're B2B, and then making sure that when they think about that problem, they think about you first as being the solution. That's essentially the whole goal of brand. I'm at the airport. I'm traveling somewhere. I'm a little bit hungry. I could also use a snack. I want something salty and sweet. I'm going to go pick up a Snickers bar. I don't love the Mars Corporation, right? Oh, yeah, I want to give them my money. I don't think it's the highest quality chocolate in the world. It's familiar. I know it. It's sold everywhere. I've done it before, right? It solves my little problem in that moment versus something like, oh, man, my software business is trying to track how many customers we're getting. We're trying to figure out profitability per customer. We want to know lifetime value. We want to know cost of acquisition. We want to understand churn and We want to see recidivism and retention, all these numbers, so that we can make smart decisions about the business. And here comes ProfitWell. And ProfitWell provides all that stuff, plugs right into Stripe, solves the problem for our business, is great to look at, easy to use. I love it, right? So it's painful problem meets elegant solution. That's where I think on the B2B side, you really win. You know, if it could be the case, Dots, that more marketers could think more broadly about the problem space that they're in, do that customer and audience research, understand how people perceive that problem, how they talk about it, how they learn to find solutions, what they listen to in that space, where are the innovative people who are trying to solve that problem in a new way going? What are they doing? Are they listening to podcasts? Are they going to events? Are they, I don't know, reading media sources, following people on LinkedIn or Mastodon or Twitter or whatever? Knowing that gives you a superpower in marketing. I would like us to drill into that a little bit. You know, Salesforce reports we are 73% of customers expect companies to understand their needs and expectations. I will say 100%. You're not going to help me if you don't know my needs. It's just human nature. Yeah. For the B2B side of things, you're already on the right track with what you were saying before. But I'd like you to give more examples or instances of how researching market appetites it's now possible, even though it wasn't really possible many years ago. Yeah. There's all kinds of research that marketers can do, creators, entrepreneurs can do. But if you want to deeply understand a problem space, my preferred methodology is essentially three things, right? In my opinion, it starts with interviews. So you one-to-one have conversations with people who experience the problem that you're trying to solve. You can find them however you want, through your personal network, through your friends' networks, through reaching out to people on LinkedIn and saying like, hey, I saw you talking about this problem. 
would you be willing to just chat with me for 30 minutes? I'm trying to solve this problem. I'd love to be able to help. And I'm hoping that my new company will help. And could we chat? I did this a ton for SparkToro. Like I spent a lot of time those first 18 months while we were doing R&D, just reaching out to a lot of folks like yourself, Dots, and just saying like, hey, can we chat about audience research? I want to understand this problem space, figure out what are you doing today to solve it? What's still painful for you? What do you wish you could do? All that kind of stuff. And then the second thing is I would take those interviews, take the responses you get. Hopefully you get at least 10 or 20 people that you talk to in the space. And then I would try and validate the lessons you believed you've learned from those customer interviews and turn them into surveys, like a broad mm. market survey, right? So I take the, oh, okay, you know what? Seven of the 10 people told me that their biggest problem was how to apply the data they could get from these types of sources to the problem they're solving in whatever their ad channels or their content marketing campaigns or whatever it is. Doesn't matter. Great. Go put that question in a survey and then say, on a scale of zero to five, how painful is this problem for you? And make sure that you're asking people for their job title and their role and the kind of work that they do. So then you can look and see, oh, you know what? It turns out a big portion of this market doesn't care about that problem at all. But another mm -hmm. portion of this market, the people with these job titles and responsibilities, they really care about it. And now you know who you're building for. If that's a problem you're going to solve, you've got job title and role and a bunch of people who match that. And you can go look at their social profiles. And you can follow them on LinkedIn and be like, aha, all right, this is the persona, the human beings who have these problems painfully. That's who I'm targeting. These other folks, I don't need to reach them so much, right? They don't care about this problem nearly enough, not enough to pay for it. So now you've already given yourself a huge advantage in terms of how you design and build your product, how you solve the problem, and how you're going to go do your marketing. And then the third thing I think you need to do is what we call audience research at scale. So this is essentially saying, look, my interviews are a few people. My survey reached maybe a few dozen, few hundred people. But now I want to analyze thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who match broad criteria and have public profiles on the web and I want to know their behaviors and demographics so that I can choose the right keywords to rank for in Google, so that I can create the right content that talks about the topics they care about, so that I can be in the media sources that they pay attention to, be on the podcast they listen to, be in the YouTube channels that they watch, in the subreddits that they subscribe to, be in the social feeds of the people that they follow. All of those things are so crucial to your actual marketing channel choices and tactical choices to reach the right people with the right message at the right time. And what the heck else is marketing? That's mm -hmm. your whole job, right? So if you instead go, I'm good at PPC, I'm going to bid on a bunch of keywords that I think are relevant to this, or you know what, I'll just put my domain in to Google and Google will tell me which keywords to target. I'll do fine. Dude, you are not doing your job, or at least you're not doing it well. Deep understanding of audience, problems they have, space that they're in, who they are, behaviors that they have, words and phrases that they use to talk about the problem, thing that's going to compel them to change their behavior from whatever solution they had before to your solution. Yeah. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. Wow. This has never been said before, especially no, in recent yeah. time. No. Are you sure? <laughs> Isn't that what no. all 
not at all. Like, I, I'm like, level one, and I'm going to repeat this if you're listening. Level one is the qualitative engagement you have with, whether past current customers, stakeholders within the industry, or what have you. Level two is the survey. So you're using information from level one and using that in surveys in level two to build more qualitative context. Now level three takes quantitative context at scale. And you're looking at, okay, I have found the jobs to be done at the fourth level. I have verified that or qualified that at the second level. Now I need to look at a mixture of that and the psychographics of the customer around that, where you can then use a tool like Spactoro to run all kinds of analysis at scale. And like Rand said, that informs your tactical plans from a marketing vertical perspective. That's kind of what I call it from a unit economics standpoint, or the individual marketing channels that make these verticals. And that forms everything else that forms your expectations, you look at some other things, we'll look at lifetime value later, but honestly, this has not been said before. I don't think people do this. Yes, we've sort of moved a little bit away from biography, you know. I don't know how old you are, 40, 45, for example, is male, is this, is that, he has the household income of whatever. And we're sort of moving away past that, but we have not yet gotten it right. We might be bringing a bit of the job to be done or the needs, but we need to get as sophisticated as what Rand is saying here. Like I can continue to go on and on, but I will say it again. Level one is the conversations you're having with your customers or whoever that product champion is. Level two, you are taking those surveys, you are getting qualitative data to establish those needs. And level three, you are running quantitative research at scale that looks at all these variables in terms of what people are doing at the moment with regards to the problem you are trying to solve, their marketing behavior, and so on and so forth. I really want to thank you for breaking this down. If you are listening right now, I don't know how long this episode is going to get, but feel free to listen to this over and over again. Share it with your marketing team. Yes, because if I want, I could package it into a $5,000 book because it's revolutionary knowledge. What we do at Marketing Leadership is that for your subscription, we'll give you premium marketing content. Okay, enough of that shameless and shameful plugs. I think our listeners of you, I think they got the point and they feel, okay, this is good. I would like to commit to this and I will want to communicate contextually. So they need some advice going forward. Around for KPIs, key performance indicators when it comes to performance marketing campaigns. I know this is sort of way down into the project life cycle of a marketing campaign. We've done our research, a show of our strategy, the right way, of course, and now we are marketing. From your experience, what are some of the most important or the favorite KPIs that ties back into the work that has been done in the customer research side that sort of verifies that or gives details for cost corrections? What are some of those KPIs that you think our marketers should be looking into? This is a great question, Dots, because there's a huge problem in that. Every business should almost certainly have different KPIs. When you listen to someone giving advice about, oh, your KPIs should be these ones, some of those might be the right ones for you, and some of them are probably the wrong ones. 
I think there's only a few big universal ones that every marketer should be caring about. And that goes back to that customer research that we talked about, which is essentially, are you reaching the audience that you most want to reach? The one that is targeted, that cares deeply about your problem, that has the problem painfully enough that they're going to pay for your solution, that's in the right place and headspace and problem space to need your solution. You've defined who those people are and you should be able to see as they sign up for your product, buy your product, whatever, you can learn more about them, right? You can take email addresses and send them through Clearbit or full contact or something like that. And you can turn those into LinkedIn profiles and social profiles so that you can see, aha, these people have these attributes, right? These traits and demographics. You could use Sparktoro for something like this too. But the core of that process is to figure out whether you're reaching the right people in the places that they actually pay attention. And weirdly enough, that has become a problem of getting KPIs that have not been considered KPIs for the last 20 years. They've been considered a little bit vanity metrics. So Mm. for example, right, Amanda and I look at whether the content that we produce in the places that we produce it, which primarily for us tends to be YouTube, LinkedIn. We do a little bit of Instagram. We do a bit of Mastodon. We do a bit of Facebook, right? We look at these social channels and then we look at our email list that, right? The people who've signed up for the email and we try and see, are these the right people? Are enough of them coming? Are they coming from the places that we're putting our content out there? What content is resonating with them and bringing them to us? If you are producing or investing in marketing channels that aren't content-centric, you probably don't have the KPIs that we have. But you almost certainly will have a KPI that is an answer to the question, am I reaching the right customers in the right places with the right message? So those three things I just said. Customers is either demographics, right? Gender, age, geography, could be psychographic stuff. And then you're asking next, am I reaching enough of them in the right places? So of these people that I'm reaching, am I reaching them through which channels? Are those the channels where they pay the most attention to? Am I getting impressions and visits, which classically they don't tie directly to revenue. And so they've been considered vanity metrics, but I think they're crucially important to understanding whether you're having success in those channels. And then with the right message. With the right message is tied to conversion rate. So is what you're saying to those people in those places, turning them into people who sign up for your email list or download your app or sign up for your free product or convert to a paying customer and put your product in their cart and check out, come into your store and buy the thing, whatever that conversion point is. Those are the KPIs that are universal. It's just that it changes for every different company what exactly they are. Yeah, based on the products to market to channel fit and many of the other factors as well. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And that's a great answer, by the way. I recently spoke to a guest who said, we don't want to be put in a box when it comes to marketing. We all love the concept of giving terms and semantics and things like that. So everyone tends to associate themselves with, say, for example, demand gen. That's what is trending nowadays. But it, at the end of the day, it's what matters to your business based on your own situation, how you're connecting to the market, and uh, some of the other 
very specific peculiar variables in there. I admire your work with customer extension, and that's great to see that, you know, you've done a lot when it comes to what we do to acquire and to what we do to retain. When it comes to lifetime value, I am a firm believer that lifetime value is an ingredient in determining marketing spend, some subset of that in relation to customer acquisition costs. But I think people are still not looking at lifetime value the right way because it's not as straightforward as just me buying a bunch of things a bunch of times in five years. So when it comes to fluctuating lifetime values, especially those that involve churn, how do you advise we approach a customer research. So these are our customers right now. How do you advise we approach research when it comes to really looking at lifetime value for what it is and having to have some concrete data from that for some other marketing use? The level of sophistication that you should apply to the research process of lifetime value is very much dependent on how big a company you are, how many customers you've got, how much each customer is spending with you on a regular basis, your profit margins, all those kind of things. I'll give you an example, right? If you and I open up an e-commerce shop, right, on Shopify, and we've got a slim margin on the goods that we're selling, and we are getting a little bit of scale, but not very much. It's sort of a side business for us. Maybe it's making a hundred grand a year, something like that. You know what? It is not worth it to go invest in sophisticated metrics around, okay, if a person buys this product versus this product on their first visit, what does that mean for how many products they'll buy with us over the next 10 years? And those 10 products or those over those 10 years, all those products that they buy, what's the margin on each of them? We're going to try to get margin contribution per person. Like, stop, just stop. Walmart should do that. Amazon should do that eBay should probably do that, right? Maybe even Nordstrom should probably do that. You and I with our side business, that's a waste of our time, right? And so if you go too far and you start building these incredibly sophisticated methodologies, you're spinning your wheels and you don't know the answer anyway. A business that's one year old, you have no idea what people are going to spend over five or 10 years. You can't even begin to estimate that reasonably. But I will say this, there's the other direction too. You can get not sophisticated enough. And that, for example, in the software as a service world or subscription business world, one of the things that really bothers me is that almost no subscription businesses consider lifetime value to be over the life of the company, how many times, how many, whatever, months of service or years of service might a person pay for no matter where they go, what businesses they join or quit. And so many people in B2B SaaS, they look at their churn rate, their retention rate, and they calculate lifetime value off one subscription period. So Dots, you come to SparkToro and you sign up for an account and you're like, great, I got all the data I needed. And two months later, you quit, right? You cancel your account. That tells an unsophisticated analyzer of lifetime value. Oh, okay. Lifetime value is two months. But what if six months later or a year later, you come back and you subscribe for another two months. And then another year later, you subscribe for six months. And then three years later, you're like at a completely new thing and you have one of your employees sign up for an account. Why is that not a lifetime? Over the course of the five years that I've just described, you've been a customer four times for a period of 18 total months. That feels like it should be the lifetime value. 
And so few people calculate that way. They just use the single period. And because of that, they do two things. One, they try and pull a bunch of what I'd call dirty tricks to keep people subscribing month after month, to not ever let them go. And you know what? Very frankly, I think many of the best opportunities in the subscription business model and in B2B software as a whole, and probably a lot of consumer software too, is letting people go when they don't need your product. There are probably a ton of businesses where people incrementally need your, whatever the value you provide is again and again, but not constantly. They don't always need it. Let them pause their subscription. Let them go to a maintenance plan, build in an easy cancellation process, update them and be like, Hey, we're going to charge your card in three days. Like heads up. You might want to go check this out. If you do that, people will come back again and again. They'll have this positive impression of you and the service that you provided. They'll be like, oh, I remember it's really easy to cancel so I can just join, get the data that I need, get the service that I need, and then cancel again. No problem. And a ton of businesses don't think this way and they don't think about true lifetime value. And so they miss out. So both sides, right? Too sophisticated, not worth it. Just too much effort for the data. And then not sophisticated enough, not thinking big about the real behavior of long-term customers, also a problem. So this is a challenge. Again, it's like KPIs, right? Everybody is going to have their own level that makes sense. Yeah. What you also said ties to the concept of the human-to-human marketing. A while ago, I interviewed the father himself, Brian Kramer. And what you just described now is it's human to unsubscribe and come back again because there is the concept of the share of life. And within the share of life, you might get a share. That share may get taken back from you, not necessarily because of the competition, but because of something else. I also know that some people apply the concept of customer captivity. So they increase the switching cost. Again, the jury is out there on how far we need to go to overuse stuff like that or even use it in the right place. There's an ethical marketing reason to using things like that. But aside the fact that every situation is different, I will also say to those listening that let's remember that it's human to human. It's not really B2B, it's not really B2C. Try to execute marketing from a human to human perspective. If you have to influence, that's fine. But make sure you are influencing to deliver value. You are influencing to create customer success. Brand, it's been awesome having you sharing your superior marketing wisdom. And I would say I am a beneficiary of Spactoro. So I got an account. I used it for my podcast and I got a guest from that tool that I've already interviewed. So amazing. Um, that is really awesome. And it's revolutionary. Yeah. In the world of chat GPT and things like this, I think speaking human to human is some of the things that your tool reflects, if I would say. I know many marketers, millions already know you, but where can they learn more about some of the things you are doing and especially with your market research solution? Yeah, absolutely. So I am most active these days on LinkedIn, where I'm just Rand Fishkin, and I post usually a few times a week, sometimes little videos like the snippets that we've got here. And of course, anyone can sign up for a free SparkToro account. You don't have to put in a credit card or anything like that. You can just try it out, play around with it, see what the tool offers, see if it's useful to you. That is a forever free account. It doesn't expire. So you can just keep it. That's at sparktoro.com. Amanda and I also run a live 
webinar series called Office Hours, Arcturo Office Hours, which has gotten very popular the last couple of years. I think we had like 2,000 people on our last one. And that's a great way to also keep up and get more in-depth knowledge around a particular topic that might be interesting to you. We released episodes every month. And so you can sign up for those at SparkToro Office Hours. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much again. And please, if you follow Rand on LinkedIn, I can assure you the white spots are back. Please follow Rand to see that. That's all for today, guys. Thank you for listening. See more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com. And please subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify. Till next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.